right before the Passover, the night when the day when the Jewish people would remember their nation's escape from slavery in Egypt. The disciples were reclining around the table with their faces toward Jesus. The disciples had been with Jesus for three years, and one by one, they had become convinced that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, one that they would be willing to risk everything to follow. There had been more than one prophet who had foretold that on just such a day, the Messiah would arrive and deliver Israel forever from their oppressors and would set up his kingdom. The disciples were so sure that Jesus was about to set up his kingdom that they had spent a great deal of time arguing amongst themselves about who would get the position of honor in this new kingdom. Jesus had been trying to tell them for some time that it was not his time for an earthly kingdom or an earthly throne, but for a cross. The disciples had heard the predictions of the Messiah, how he would come, return in his power and glory and set up a new kingdom. The disciples were hearing what they wanted to hear, much the way we hear what we want to hear. But Jesus was about to strip away their hope of the new earthly kingdom. In John 13:33, My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Don't you think the disciples were a little perplexed with that conversation? Just imagine some of their thoughts. They may have gone like this. What do you mean we can't go where you're going? We've been following you everywhere. What do you mean the world will not see you anymore, but we will see you? How will we be able to see you and the world cannot? How is this possible? What do you mean that you will not say much to us because the prince of this world is coming? If the prince of this world is coming, does that mean you're not going to set up your kingdom? Does that mean you won't be king? Are we still going to be under Roman rule? Who is the spirit of truth? We want you to stay rather than have some new advocate. 
Don't you imagine they were just a little disappointed? Their hopes of coming out from underneath Roman rule were being destroyed before their eyes. Everything that the disciples thought they knew seemed to be coming undone. In John chapter 14, verses 20 through, 20 through 30, Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear from me are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You have heard me say, I am going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I'm going to my Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Jesus was telling his disciples of things to come so that when those events occurred, they would look back and remember how Jesus had foretold those events before they happened. Are we somewhat like the disciples that following Jesus is not going exactly the way we had expected it to? In our spiritual experience, do we have anger, disappointment, and doubt? Are we expecting to have no trials or tribulations or temptations? Are we expecting God to help us win on our own terms? Have we failed to lean into God to listen to Him and what He's telling us? God is always there for us. He's willing to help us through our trials and times of need. God will meet us on His terms that are laid out in His Word. We need to pay close attention to the words Jesus gave us in the vineyard. In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, 
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends, and if you do what I command, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. Our Father has a plan to keep each of us striving emotionally, physically, and spiritually. His plan does not make sense to the rest of the world, for they do not understand His ways. Let's take a look at what Jesus is telling us about ourselves and our connection to Him. Jesus is the vine, which is actually the trunk that grows out of the ground. You and I are the branches that are attached to Jesus the vine. His Father is the gardener, who lovingly takes care of the garden and makes sure that the garden is productive, carefully cultivating each branch to make it as productive as possible. Well, we often take this scripture to imply that we are to bring others into the kingdom of God, which we are. It is also about our attitude, good works towards others, and our actions which exemplify God's values, because that will glorify Him. In John fifteen eight, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. We bear fruit when we are helping a neighbor in need, clearing snow from the sidewalks of the elderly, or helping someone cross the street. We bear fruit when we exemplify Christ-like qualities. Those qualities are described in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For us to bear fruit, we need to respond appropriately to the gardener. 
Not all branches respond the same. And likewise, not all produce the same crop. As a gardener goes through the vineyard, he comes across the basket. And looking in his eye, inside that basket, he sees that it's empty. The gardener says, Ah, oh, I have much pruning to do here to make this branch productive. The gardener continues on through the vineyard. When he comes upon a second basket, he looks inside and sees some fruit. While the gardener is pleased to see that there's some fruit in that basket, he knows that the branches can be more productive, so he prepares to prune them. As the gardener continues on through that vineyard, he comes upon a third basket. When he looks inside, he sees more fruit than the previous basket. The gardener is excited to see more fruit than before, but he knows the branch can produce even more fruit with some extra pruning. As the journey through the vineyard continues, the gardener comes upon a fourth basket. The basket's overflowing. The gardener doesn't need to look inside. It's evident. It's producing much fruit. The gardener is thrilled. But even so, the gardener knows it can still do better. Christians all over the world have been asked to describe what their level of fruit bearing might be. Their responses are very similar. Almost half of all Christians believe that they bear little or no fruit, while about a third of them believe they bear some fruit. There are only about 5% who believe they produce a lot of fruit for the kingdom of God. Now, bearing fruit is not reserved for only certain kinds of or types of Christians. It's a desire of God that all bear fruit and bear it in abundance for His glory. There are two questions here. The first question is, is, which basket are we? Do we produce no fruit? A minimal amount of fruit? Or are we overflowing with fruit to glorify God? The second question would be, which basket do we want to be? Are we okay with producing no fruit? Content with producing some? Or do we seek the desire to have the abundance spring forth a lot of fruit for the kingdom of God and His glory? Will we ever find true fulfillment if we only produce a half a basket of fruit? When we've been created to produce in abundance? No matter how much fruit we produce, we can produce more if we are willing to allow our Father to prune and shape us. The world teaches us that our fulfillment comes from material things, such as a job, our social status, money, possessions, who we know, who our friends are, and how important we think we are ourselves. But those are nothing but lies and deceptions of the devil. That kind of fulfillment is fleeting and can be gone in an instant. Much like when a tornado comes through and destroys everything in its path. 
the fulfillment we get from producing fruit for the kingdom of God will never leave us, but will be stored up in heaven for our eternal glory. Let me ask you, what will give you more lasting joy? The 25 cent an hour raise you got on your paycheck? Or helping someone do something that they could not do for themselves or by themselves. Don't let the wisdom of this world rob you of your eternal joy of producing fruit for the kingdom of God. Learn and apply the teaching of Jesus in the vineyard so that you can experience for yourself the life of abundant joy. As we prepare to sing a song of invitation today, are you ready to be connected to the vine that Jesus provides us? Are you ready to produce fruit for the kingdom of God? Are you ready to allow God to prune you and make you more productive for His glory? Are you ready to experience an abundant, never-ending joy you get when you produce Good and plentiful fruit. Won't you come now? Mm-hmm.